0: Hello, and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Serving Like Our Savior. And now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. You've probably heard someone talk about the pecking order of their organization. That phrase actually comes from the social order of chickens in a barnyard. When two chickens meet each other for the first time, either a fight will ensue or one chicken will run away and the next time those two chickens meet, the chicken who's earned the pecking rights will peck at the other chicken and the other chicken can't peck back. And in, say, 12 chickens in a barnyard, the the alpha chicken gets to peck all the other chickens and they can't peck back and then the eleventh chicken in line can peck ten chickens below her and they can't peck back and then the uh, tenth chicken in line can peck nine chickens below her and they can't peck back until you get to the very last chicken in the pecking order and she can't peck any of the other chickens they can peck at her. I wasn't raised on a farm but I think the farmers call that the impeccable chicken. So. You're welcome. (laughs) All of us are obsessed with where we are in the pecking order of our company, of our social circles, maybe even in our church, maybe especially in our church. And that's why it is so surprising when we get to today's story in John chapter 13 where Jesus kneels down before his disciples and he washes their feet. This is what we find in John chapter 13. Now in John chapter 13, we take a turn in the plot line. We've been studying through the Gospel of John and in the first 11 chapters of John, Jesus is reaching out to the crowds through his teaching and through his miracles John gives us seven representative signs or miracles that Jesus performed in order to reach the crowds. And at the beginning of John chapter 12, it looks like the crowds are going to follow him enthusiastically. But at the end of John chapter 12, as we saw last week, the crowds are fading away from him. The cross is right around the corner. And so starting in John chapter 13, there's a turn in the plot. And in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, those five chapters, Jesus's behavior and Jesus's words aren't for the crowds, but for for his closest followers. And so he draws them aside and he wants to prepare them for the horror of the cross. And he wants to prepare them to lead his church when he has left this earth. So everything that happens in chapters 13 through 17 happen in just a few hours the night before Jesus goes to the cross. And the very first thing that Jesus does when he draws his apostles aside away from the crowd so that he might teach them and minister to them, the very first thing he does is he washes their feet. Let's see how this story begins in uh, John chapter 13 starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, let's understand the cultural context where we find this story. Roads at that time were not paved with asphalt. People did not drive cars, and they did not wear closed-toed shoes. Roads were uh, dirt that turned into mud when it rained and people did not drive cars, they walked, and they wore open-toed sandals. What I'm saying is that on a short walk, your entire body could remain relatively clean, except for your feet. And so if you were going to a dinner party, and you were the guest at somebody's house for a dinner party, when you showed up, there would be somebody at the door who would remove your sandals, even today in Eastern cultures, sandals, shoes are removed at the front door, So there would be somebody there who would remove those sandals and with a wash basin and a towel would remove the dust and the mud from your feet and from between your toes. You could tell who was the lowest in the pecking order of that household as to which one was assigned the task of kneeling at somebody's feet and washing their feet. In John chapter 13, these 12 apostles are gathered with Jesus around a table. In Near Eastern fashion, the tables weren't tall. You didn't sit in a chair at the tables. The tables were low, kind of like our coffee tables, even lower than that. You would recline at the table. You would rest with your, on, uh, with your body on your uh, left elbow. You would reach for the food uh, with your right hand. And your feet would be at basically the same level of the table reclined out behind you. And that's why it would be as uncouth at that time to show up at the table with dirty feet as it would be in our day to show up at a table with dirty hands. And yet here we are in John chapter 13 and all these apostles of Jesus are gathered with him at what would be their last supper with him and every one of them are sitting there, laying there with dirty feet. The Gospel of John tells us that on the uh, Lord's supper, the last supper before Jesus went to the cross, that, uh, that uh, the gospel of Luke tells us that they were arguing with each other as to who was the greatest. And maybe that's why they were all sitting around with dirty feet. Because, you know, if you're, if you're trying to state the case that you're the most important in the room, you're not going to perform the task of the least important person in the room. Now, it's significant that John tells us. Did you notice this? John tells us it was in the middle of the meal that Jesus got up and served his apostles. It was almost as if he had listened to them arguing about who was the greatest long enough. He had waited for them to do what was right long enough, and finally he stood up, and he did the work himself. He took off his outer garment. He, like a servant would do, he wrapped the servant's towel around his waist and stripped down to uh, to in that way. He knelt before each one of his apostles, and to their shock and shame, he put a water basin in front of them. He took a towel and he washed the feet of each one of them. I still marvel at how verses 4 and 5 flow out of verse 3. Look at this again. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, did you notice that? So, he began to wash his disciples' feet. It was as if the awareness that he was God and that everything was under his power led him to naturally think that he ought to wash somebody's feet. Isn't it interesting how verses 4 and 5 flow like that out of this statement of verse 3? Now, what can we learn from this story today? We can learn that we are to receive and then copy the saving service of Jesus. We're to receive it and then we're to copy it. So I want you to write this down on your sermon notes. First of all, receive the saving service of Christ. Now, this is an often missed Point of this story but Jesus was preparing his men to understand the cross, to understand salvation when he knelt before them and washed their feet. Just as he washed uh, dirt off their feet on Thursday night he would wash sin off their souls the next day on the cross and he wanted them to understand this and that's the meaning behind this cryptic conversation that Jesus and Simon Peter had with each other. Look at the next verses, John 13, verses 6 through 8. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, apparently, Simon Peter was the last in line as Jesus was going around to each of these apostles and uh, washing their feet to their shock and to their shame. Peter was getting more and more embarrassed about this and self-conscious about this. He was the master after all. He was the the Lord, he was the ruler, and he was washing the feet of these men who were following after him. Simon Peter said, that's not going to happen to me. And you can imagine this impulsive disciple pulling his feet underneath his robe and saying, no, Lord, you, you don't have to do that. I can wash my own feet. Here, give me the rag, I'll do it myself. And Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. What Jesus was saying is, Peter, tomorrow I'm going to a cross to to wash away sin from your soul. You have to receive that. You have to accept that service that I'm performing on your part in order to be one of mine. And so unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And that, you see, was a foreshadowing of the cross. Now maybe you react to hearing the gospel the way Simon Peter reacted to seeing Jesus wash his apostles' feet. You hear the gospel account that Jesus died for you that Jesus died to take away your sin and you go well I know I need to make some changes in my life but I'm going to be the, uh, the, the one responsible to do it I'm going to clean up my act I'm going to turn over a new leaf I'm going to straighten up I'm going to fix that which I've broken in my life now understand Jesus wants you to do every one of those things But the first thing he wants you to do, the most important thing he wants you to do, is let him wash you. Jesus died on a cross to take away your sin. You have to let him serve you in that way so that you can experience his salvation. The gospel is not about what you try to do for God. The gospel is about what God has done for you. When he sent his son Jesus, and Jesus willingly bore away your sin, on the cross so receive the saving service of Jesus but second we need to copy the saving service of Jesus write that down copy the saving service of Christ take a look at John chapter 13 verses 12 through 17 as this passage continues when he had finished washing their feet he put on his clothes and returned to his place do you understand what I've done for you he asked them You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now, how did Jesus put it here? He said, I've washed your feet, Now you wash mine. That's not how he put it, is it? We would have wished for him to put it that way, to serve him in response to all he's done for us. We'd be glad to do that. We'd be willing to sacrifice for him, to inconvenience ourselves for him, to serve him in this sort of way. But what does Jesus do? He throws us a curve here, doesn't he? He says, now that I have washed your feet, now you wash each other's feet. You inconvenience yourself for each other. You serve each other is what he tells us here in this passage. Christ does indeed call on us to perform acts of courage. He calls on us to perform acts of great sacrifice. He calls on us to perform acts of great boldness. But probably the most courageous thing he has ever told us to do is to kneel down before each other and find a need in somebody else's life that we can meet for them. Now I've heard a lot of sermons on this text and most people seem to think that what Jesus did in this passage was he took the world's definition of greatness and turned it upside down. That's not a sufficient way to understand this passage of scripture. Jesus didn't just take the world's definition of greatness and turn it upside down. Jesus took the world's definition of greatness and he tore it up. You see for a lot of us if we read John chapter 13 we would conclude that what Jesus is meaning for us to understand this passage is in this way. Well, if I shouldn't seek greatness, then I will seek obscurity. I will avoid those places of leadership that might get my uh, my name known. I'll avoid those places where the spotlight might fall on me. And that's the way we understand passages like John chapter 13. The only problem is if you understand John chapter 13 in this way, where's the focus? It's still on you. You're just deciding not to seek leadership. You're going to seek obscurity. You're not going to seek the limelight. You're going to seek the shadows. The focus is still on you. Jesus never told you to think little of yourself. Jesus wants you to not think of yourself at all. You see the difference? We need to understand that what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that maturing Christians, Christians who develop to a point of maturity, it's, we don't focus on whether meeting somebody else's need gives us attention or lack of attention. We're, we're just focused on meeting somebody's need. We see a need in somebody else's life, and it might lead to obscurity where nobody knows our name, or it might lead to leadership. It might lead to uh, not ever getting a thank you note, or it might lead to uh, 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 your act going viral on social media. But that's not what you're focused on. You're just focused on the fact that somebody else has a need and you can meet it and you do it. Now, it should be no surprise that serving each other like this serves as a powerful witness in the church, a powerful witness in the church for the world to see. And that's why just a few verses later in John chapter 13, verse 35, here's what he says. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love me. One another. Now, it's interesting, again, how he puts this. Just as he didn't say, now that I've washed your feet, you come and wash mine. He said, now that I've washed your feet, now you wash each other's feet. In the same way, in verse 35, he does not say, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love me. Of course, he wants us to love him. But the way that the world knows that we belong to him is in what way? If we have love for each other, as he has commanded us to do so As one of our songs puts it They will know we are Christians by our love Now this is one of the main reasons We are always encouraging you To bring somebody with you To church worship services and to church activities It's not just It's, it's not about padding the numbers It's not because we define the success of an event On the attendance to an event That's not it You think about this, if somebody has no relationship with Jesus Christ, or if they've had a sour past experience in a church, when you invite them into a place where people are serving each other, loving each other, respecting each other, sacrificing for each other, that has an incredibly powerful pull. And that's why it's important for us to do that. Uh, You know, in our church, we teach uh, people what we call the invite- Strategy. I N V I T E. Each of those letters stand for six actions that will help you build a relationship with a non-believer, so that they might build a relationship with Jesus. And a lot of us in here, will, we're very familiar with the invite strategy. If you haven't heard about it before, or if you, or if you need a refresher course, you can just go to our website, Hillcrest Church slash Invite. And if you go to Hillcrest slash Invite, you'll get all the teaching that we teach each other about uh, the invite strategy. But those of you who've been here, you know the steps to the invite strategy. I stands for identify. Just ask God to open your eyes and identify the people in your life who need a relationship with Jesus or who need a church home. And then second is to nurture. N stands for nurture. Nurture a real, no strings attached relationship with those who need a savior or who need a church home. You build that relationship not as a strategy just to get them into church or to get them to hear the gospel. You build a relationship with them because they're made in the image of of God and so therefore they're valuable in and of themselves. You nurture a real relationship with Jesus. V stands for verify. Through your conversations with them, verify where they're at spiritually. Lots of people are lost, but not everybody's lost in the same way. And so we need to identify what their hang-up is about Jesus or what their misunderstanding is about the church. We need to verify where they're at spiritually. And then what's the fourth step? The fourth step is involve. Involve them with your church family. Now, now why do we have that as a step in the invite strategy? Just because we needed to come up with something for that next I in in the letters? No. Involving them with your church family is the way we fulfill the passage we're looking at today if we are serving each other, if we are respecting each other, if we are loving each other, if we're sacrificing for each other, Jesus says in verse 35 in this passage that it is this way that all people will know that we belong to God and that our message is from God if we have love for each other. And so as people come into a place like this and experience life with us, it is a very powerful way of witnessing to people. And so, of course, you need to be sharing the gospel, communicating the gospel, having conversations without G, uh, outside about Jesus, even before you get people into here. But, but getting people into here is a part of the process of helping them understand what Jesus can do with a life. You know, here's how Greg Gilbert put it in one of his books. He said, as you build relationships with people, look for ways to involve other believers from your church as well. One of the greatest witnesses to the gospel on the planet is the love that Christians have for one another. If you and some friends from church are going to be hanging out together, invite one of your non-believing co-workers to come along. The conversation doesn't have to be explicitly spiritual. Sometimes interactions between a group of normal, interesting, fun, intelligent Christians will change a person's entire perspective about Christianity. Also invite co-workers to your church's worship services. Let them see what it's like for a group of Christians to gather gather together and take their faith seriously. Many have never seen anything like that, and experiencing it can raise all kinds of good questions in their minds. Jesus called his followers to gather together into churches for a reason. Your church family can be an enormous evangelistic resource. I think he's right. Now to that end, we are encouraging you to invite a friend to come with you to our worship service and to our life group hour on March the 20th. That's a few weeks away. Now, those of you that are keeping up with your calendars and your kids' calendars, you know that March the 20th is the Sunday after spring break. And we don't typically have a high attendance day on the Sunday before or the Sunday right after spring break. But in this study through the Gospel of John, God willing, I'm going to be in John chapter 15 in that passage in John chapter 15 where Jesus is defining friendship is where Jesus is talking about friendship that's where I intend to be on March chapter uh, on, on March the 20th and so what I what I want to do is call March the 20th friend day and I, I want you to bring a friend I want you to bring a a family member I want you to bring a co-worker uh, it, you bring them back if if they've been with you before or, or just bring them for the first time on this friend day on March the 20th Starting next Sunday, next Sunday a week from today, you'll, notice, you'll start noticing on the connection cards, there'll be a space where we're going to ask you to put the name down of somebody you are uh, thinking about asking and that you intend to bring. And the reason we're doing that is so that our ministry staff can pray by name for you and by name for the person you're hoping to bring on March the 20th. And the, re- the reason we do that is to fulfill passages like we're looking at today. And, uh, but even as we're we're intending to bring friends to Friend Day, we need to make sure that the environment we bring them into is uh, very much reflective of what we're talking about today. We need to make sure that we are a place where we are serving each other and sacrificing for each other and respecting each other as we move through life together. So let's make sure that we're paying attention to this passage of scripture because when Jesus washed his disciples' feet Here's what he's telling us. Accept this and copy this. Accept my saving service for you. I came to die on a cross for you. Let me do this for you. Let me serve you by washing away your sin. And then having accepted this, we need to copy this. Jesus says, just as I served you, now serve each other. Now as our story opened today, I reminded you uh, about how verses four and five flow out of verse three. It's just so remarkable to me where Jesus says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God so he began to wash his disciples feet it's as if the awareness that he was God and everything was under his control just led, it, led him naturally to think about washing somebody's feet now if this is true and it is then when you serve you are aligning with the very purpose of life the center of reality the center of the universe is God but what kind of God the serving God the God who serves and so when you accept his service for you and when you copy his service for you in the way you treat other people you're just in alignment with the purpose of the universe you're moving more and more toward the center of what it's all about you, you see, this is why it feels so good when you serve, when when you uh, get involved in Meals on Wheels or when you re-roof somebody's house after a tornado or something like that. It feels good, doesn't it? You know, the, uh, scientists can tell us we get this sort of chemical, this dopamine rush and everything, it feels good. And, and you know, I, I've done a lot of funeral services and I can tell you that at the eulogy time, people come up and they share the eulogy and they don't put it this way, they don't say, well, we're burying Fred today, and you know, the thing I remember about Fred is how he hoarded his money. You know, the thing I remember about Fred is how he always stayed inside and never took care of anybody and never, never gave his money to organizations that help people. That's not what we say to about somebody when they die. What do we say when we remember something fondly about their life? What do we say? We talk about how they served. We talk about how they gave, right? What what, what does that hint to you? Even if you're not a believer, even if you've never read the Bible before, what does that hint to you? Doesn't that tell you that we are coming close to the meaning of life, to the purpose of the universe when we serve? Well, of course, because the God who knew, the, the Jesus who knew that he was God and that everything was under his authority saw naturally that that led to serving other people. He is our serving God. We need to accept his service for us. And we need to copy his service in the way we take care of other people. You know, Bre- Greg Buchanan said something about that. He is a Canadian pastor, and, or Mark Buchanan, that is. Mark Buchanan um, is a Canadian pastor and a Canadian uh, professor, and he once told the story about what happened when a woman named Wanda showed up at the church he was serving as pastor one time. And Mark put it this way. He, she said, Wanda... Was not our kind of people She was an alcoholic and a drug addict And had only one way to pay for all that And I'll let you guess But she was desperate And thirsty for something else Than the life she had been living She called the church one day Wondering if she could see a pastor and now And two of us met with her And she told us her troubled story And I told her about Jesus And asked if she would like to put her trust in him And start new Oh yeah, she said And so we prayed And she confessed and repented and surrendered. The other pastor said, Now, Wanda, this Sunday will be your first time in church. Don't feel like you have to fit in right away. You can sit in the back if you want to. Come late, leave early, whatever's comfortable. And Wanda looked at him sideways and said, Why would I want to do that? I've been waiting for this all my life. And that Sunday, Wanda was the very first to arrive and the last to leave. She sat at the front. She loudly agreed with everything I said. She sang loudly The next Sunday, same thing, except she brought a friend, one of her kind of people. (laughs) I preached on servanthood that day. My main point, if you've tasted the love of Jesus, you'll want to serve. And it was communion Sunday, like we had at this church just a moment ago. And and, uh, he said, in those days, we called our elders the servant leadership team. And I asked the servant leaders to come and help with communion. But you see, Wanda had been listening intently as I said in my sermon, if you've tasted the love of Jesus, you'll want to serve. And so when she heard the word servant, those who want to serve come to the front, she came to the front. Buchanan said the first thing, his reaction was he didn't know what to do. And he wasn't sure how the elders and the rest of the church would react to have her serving. That was the elders' job. But when he stepped beside Wanda, he said, since this is your first time doing this, do you mind if I help And he wrote, So Wanda and I serve communion. And the best part was watching the faces of the people I love and serve and pray for and preach to. Not one scowled, not one objected. She was our kind of people. That's what it's all about. All God's people said, Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we're astonished. Astonished that you are willing to serve us even to the point of enduring the cross. Help us accept your service instead of trying to save ourselves. And point us to those we now need to serve in faithful imitation of you. And let our world be drawn to this church community by the way we serve each other. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a sermon titled, Before You Fall. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.